There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Truth and Movies. Today, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Lily James travels to self-discovery on an island called Whimsy. In a book adaptation, some say you shouldn't Guernsey. Let the sun shine in. It's Claire Denise. It's the bees, Denise. It's the portrait of a single woman's search for love, featuring Juliette Binoche. There's Film Club. This week, we've selected Claire's hymn to malice and masculinity, Beau Travail. It's a beau selector. And in this first anniversary edition, we also swap notes on our top films of the past 12 months. Listen up, Book of Henry, it could be you. Sounds like a very special Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. On board the Truth and Movies starship today, we very much have Sophie Monks-Kaufman. Hi, Sophie. Very much, hi. It's exciting to have you back because you're once again consumed with enthusiasm for one of our films, possibly both of the films we're going to be talking about today. Also here, also up for it, David Jenkins. Hey. All right. Let's begin then. <laughs> Let's unveil film number one. It is the newie from Claire Denise, called, in English anyway, Let the Sun Shine In. The title in French, Sophie? Un beau soleil intérieur. Very nice. Which I think possibly says things that Let the Sun Shine In doesn't. Sophie, you've spoken to Claire Denise. I did, and I have some glorious anecdotes about the experience. Uh, before we go to that, David, could you just refute a popular myth about this film? Well, yes. I think on its Wikipedia page, it says that the film is inspired, or an adaptation of uh, Roland Barthes' A Lover's Discourse. And um, she has said in an interview with Sophie Monks Kaufman that that is actually not the case, because they tried to do something inspired by the book and they sent it to the estate of Roland Barthes and Roland Barthes' estate said, no, but in a very kind of rude way. Oh, really? Like merde or something like merde, that? Le merde, yeah. Oh, wow. C'est le merde. Okay, so if you were going along to this on the basis that you were excited to see Roland Barthes reach the big screen at last. It's <laughs> true. Roland Barthes, fanboys. Yeah. Cool your jets. All right. So now having spoken to Claire Denise, you, had you seen the film when you, when you spoke to her? I had. I was in raptures, yes. All right. What did you gush at her first? Uh, no, I didn't gush at her. I, what happened was I kept it together during the interview, but then afterwards, I don't usually do this, but I asked if she wouldn't mind if me to take a photo of her. Not only did she not mind, she as- arranged herself in the most glorious pose. I took the photo. and What was, was the pose? Sorry. It was just, I mean, I can barely describe it with words. Did you do it? 
you have to go on my Instagram page and check it out. I can't. Okay, what's your Instagram address? It's just my name, Sophie Mons Kaufman. Okay. But um, I was so overwhelmed that she had arranged herself for this little impromptu photo shoot that I said, can I hug you? And she said, yes. And we hugged. And as we hugged, she said, uh, it feels so good to be touched. And that was our moment. And then later on, <laughs> as... I left her walking on air, astonished by the interaction. I was waiting for an elevator. I felt someone walk behind me. It was Claire again, and she tickled my back. That's astonishing. Um, okay. But I, I, I actually think you couldn't do a more perfect tee-up to a conversation on the films of Claire Denis. Okay, well, then that anecdote. Yeah, really. I, mean, that, that, I think that captures her cinematic style. Okay. Really, really well. Tickling? A little bit tactile. Tricky. Tactile, mm. yes. Emotional. I'm new to the world of Claire Denis with this week's two films, our, our, our film club, the much lauded Boutravai, and, and this. So, I'm, you know, I, my untutored eye is how eager did, to hear what you made you, of it. How did you find it? Well, it would be interesting to hear you first, okay, actually, as, right as, as, a, as, a, as a Denis uh, <laughs> newbie. Yeah. Uh, a, a Denis débutant. Denis debut. Well, I like this. Funnily enough, the one bit of this that I didn't enjoy was the bit that a lot of people have raved about, which is the ending. Uh, Gerard Depardieu, who they make a big play of on the posters, Juliette Binoche, Gerard Depardieu, essentially comes in over the closing credits. It's one of the many kind of vignettes, one of the many portraits that Denise essays here of, of the differing kinds of, of males that Juliette Binoche decides this is the answer. No, that's not the answer. That's the answer. But this particular joke just seems to go on forever, whereas the other ones, I, I really appreciated the way that she dipped into something and then moved on because she esteemed her audience enough to have got the joke. And uh, what I found really interesting about this film, actually, was how much it made me realise that the whole subject matter is something that you you almost never see explored in movies, this the notion of an older person dealing with that kind of dichotomy you have towards the falling in love. On one hand, you are older and wiser, but on the other hand, you still have to go through that kind of inherently foolish business of pinning all your hopes, pinning all your passion on a person. So there's that conflict going on, which kind of pulls you towards but also pushes you away from people. And I thought it was a tremendously, it was an astonishing performance by Juliette Binoche, but also the way that... Claire Denise has arranged the story and, and the way she allows that just the actions to breathe. I thought it was an incredibly frank film on a topic that you don't see explored very often. But that's just what I think. What about you guys? To sort of dial back very quickly, it is a film about with Juliette Binoche as a, an artist who is basically at a little bit of a juncture in her life where she's in the midst of a divorce and she's sort of seeking out new options with male partners and... It's essentially, yeah, as you say, it's a series of vignettes as she kind of goes from one guy to the next. I'm wondering whether to call it a comedy because, like, it's really quite funny, I think, in a very sort of dry way mm. in the kind of the standoffs and the reactions and the, especially the way that Juliet Binoche, her character changes in this very, very minute way in the moment. It's quite interesting for Claire Denis because I think as we'll go, as we'll sort of talk about later when we, when we talk about Beau Travail, she's a very kind of, visual director she doesn't really have much dialogue in her in all any of her other films they're quite sort of visually emotionally kind of stark whereas this one has lots of talking lots of conversation it's a very different thing for her but i think the way that she is a visual director and she's so great at picking out these little kind of emotional fragments from life 
she's doing that with dialogue and the way people talk and the way people react and the way people say things and enunciate and you know I think that this film is like a masterclass in like awkward pauses <laughs> I mean just the waiting when someone says a thing and there's a wait afterwards and it's just like every single second is incrementally more kind of horrible to watch and there's an instance early on where she's meeting this married man she's having an affair with a married man who is very kind of louche and uh you know sees her as his bit of fluff on the side and doesn't and is very kind of like open about the fact that I'll never leave my wife and there's a moment where he sort of gets very cocky and decides to sort of tell her Oh, well, I'll obviously never leave my wife for you. You're very charming, but my wife is extraordinary. Yes, exactly. And it's just the words, the intonation, and then the way that Binoche suddenly changes. And you, she doesn't necessarily act it. Like, she doesn't do anything necessarily, but you can just feel her change uh-huh. in, her, in her kind of relationship to me on that moment. And you know that's obviously the end. But it just plays repetitions of this, I guess. And it's just a thrilling film. I just love it. Wow. Sophie? Well, in a way, it's an extraordinary collaboration of women. I think the reason it has more dialogue than Claire Denis' films usually do is because it's a collaboration with the playwright and novelist, Christine Ango. So it's her, it's Claire Denis, and it's Juliette Binoche in this incredibly vulnerable performance like it's almost not acting it's almost her just showing up and being herself in these very intimate situations there's no affect and one reason the film is so compelling is her face just because she has fewer lines of dialogue than the men she deals with a lot of the scenes are them talking at her and her just reacting and her face is alive in these minuscule ways that they don't necessarily pick up upon. So you have this access to her, what's going on for her, that, that her companions don't necessarily have. So I loved watching this uh, from a female perspective, watching older women enjoying exciting, upsetting, but fundamentally soul-affirming sexual journey. And I'm delighted that it's not something that is strictly something gender-based that you both can watch it and get really specific things out of it. It makes me just feel like we should do just salute Claire Denis, Beautrevay army style. <laughs> oh, yeah, nice. Carry I, on, I will, on say, I will say, though, I even loved the Depot Dieu mm-hmm. coda at the end because I think I watched it a second time knowing it was coming. Just before he appears and they they enter into this dialogue, there's a tiny little scene beforehand which kind of it's kind of hilariously puts it into this very different context. Right. And I think it's quite a sort of, not a cynical closer, but it's quite sort of darkly humorous. And I wouldn't say that Binoche's character is the hero in a very traditional sense, but she's being dealt with in a very kind of objective way. Yeah. And that's what makes it great, I think. And that she is like, there are certain things that she is susceptible to, which kind of, I think, are highlighted in that kind of final scene with uh, with Depardieu. Again, it's it's her reaction to what she's saying, and I think the beauty of that scene is like anyone who sees it could read it in a different way. What she's thinking, how she's responding to his suggestions, and you know where she will go next. I think it's quite mm. a kind of it's a sort of mysterious closer that that has a kind of it's open interpretation. Interesting. Well, Claudine is a very entertaining person to interview because 
unlike a lot of directors who enjoy being mysterious, she's very opinionated about what her films mean. Um, did she say anything about this? Yeah, so we well, can... she did, because I, I read it as him being very manipulative. In light of the previous scene, I thought he had one specific goal that he was relentlessly going towards. And so I, I think I couched a question towards her saying something about him being manipulative. She was emphatic, not she feels like he's I think she, the word she uses is like an ice cream vendor like some guy just sort of plying his his uh, rinky tink trade so she has a view of this character that I don't which just validates your theory because it's a long and repetitive scene and it's not exactly transparent it kind of makes you think what is this and why is this here so I think it does enable a number of different reads interesting Sophie Anything else from that uh, extraordinary encounter with Claire Denise that we should know? Some poor hapless journalist, because it was a round table situation. Oh, uh, so you, you did your hugging in a round no, table? No, uh, once they crowd thinned and it was just Claire and I, uh, that, that's when the hugging and the tickling went down. But prior to that, in the round table, that this poor schmo was like, oh, so Ella Fitzgerald, she was like, no. It is Etta James, because there is a great soulful peak in the film involving Juliet swaying rapturously to At Last by Etta James. And Etta James is on the wall of her apartment. And she just kind of made it clear that Etta James, the type of singer she was and the type of person she was, so hungry for love, it is somebody who was a reference for Juliet in her characterization. There was a lovely quote. From that interview in the Little White Lies magazine, which smells really nice. Is it the Paul yeah. quote? Yeah. Okay. Someone who has not experienced being hurt by love for me is not a real human. They are just a machine, you know. Yeah. Uh, super. Well, there, there you go. Uh, go on then. Put the fives on this that you want to stick on it. Oh, Sophie, yeah. and Triple we'll whammy. Five, five, five. Five, five, five. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. Okay. I'd, I'd maybe go four, 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 or even three, four, four, because, you know. I didn't know what I was getting into. But, yeah, it's definitely a big fat thumbs up from the Merry Truth and Movies crew. By the way, if you'd like to get in touch with your friends here, then you can do at truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. That's the email address. There's all those other places. Daniel has random comments from various podcasts. He says, I don't remember who didn't like Tampopo. That's, that was me. Daniel says, give it another try. And he suggests also, I don't think a film like this would be released in Japan nowadays. It's great to analyse from a gender and censorship standpoint. I didn't realise that they'd cracked down, particularly in, in Japan. He seconds, Daniel, whoever said Akira should be on the film club. You were never really here. He says masterful. And uh, he hasn't stopped breathing fast since it finished, which was 20 minutes before he wrote this. Annihilation did get a movie theatre release in China. So that's good news. And Daniel says going to the movies in China is a really frustrating experience because people talk a lot, they use their phones and frequently answer calls during the movie. And one last one for now, Alex C.W., who lives in Guernsey, I think, just wanted to drop you a line to ask that you review the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society film. Being from Guernsey, this film has been widely published and publicised throughout filming and post-production. Unfortunately, due to a variety of reasons... They were unable to film it on the island. How about that? That wasn't Guernsey. That, <laughs> was it hey? another Channel Island, do we know? Well, I don't know. I suppose it could have gone to Jersey or Sark or Alderney. Those would be the options. I've got a feeling that yeah. they did it in, like, on the mainland. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. Is yeah. it a gut feeling? No, well, I'm, I'm sure, I think I read something about it. 
So uh, Alex says the coverage we've been reading has all been the, the excitement about bringing attention to the island, but he'd love to hear your honest thoughts on the movie. Oh, you've been waiting for this moment, James. <laughs> I may have prepared a list of points about <laughs> But let's not start with me. Let's first hear a little bit of the Guernsey Literary and etc. and so on. Juliet, you cannot go to a book club meeting on the island of Guernsey. Oh, it's a leap of faith. They'll even let me in. You're reading in Cambridge Friday. But the society, they meet on a Friday. I can't wait. I'll only be gone the weekend back Monday. Edinburgh. You're in Edinburgh Monday. I honestly don't know why we provide you with my tenure. I really don't. I don't. I just don't. Well, this is your fault. You said yes to the time. Excuse me, my fault? <laughs> Sydney, what books, what reading did for these people? Finally, I'll have something serious to write. Mm. This wouldn't be just to get out of reading Izzy in Cambridge, would it? Oh. You're not... You're not running away. Ha, 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 you're too funny. Well, I can't imagine Mark would let you get very far anyway. Let me. So that was Lily James as wide-eyed literary sensation Juliet Ashton, who wants out of the rut of well-attended book tours and oppressive writing schedules that her agent, played by Matthew Good, has arranged for her. The mark we heard about there is the American fiancé, who she will shortly be waving goodbye to on the dockside as she travels to the island of Guernsey to discover more about the titular society, which she has discovered in a random bit of correspondence. Now, we were talking before, actually, yeah. about how you'd, in the last week, given this some pre-shade. <laughs> um, you teed up your, your shade for this yes. week. Even pre-pre-shade, oh, yeah? I dropped a little email to you saying I'd seen the film ahead of you seeing it, and I'd said I'd quite liked it. Oh. And then you said to me, uh-oh, here we go. That means I'm going to hate it. So, like, are you sure... That you you don't hate this just to like spite me, to keep up our kind of chalk and cheese thing. Who amongst us can really say from where our emotions come? All I know is that I reacted violently. Okay. <laughs> to this film, as one would perhaps the potato pill pie of the title. I went first on Let the Sunshine In. So Sophie, I think you like this film. Let's hear why. I did, and I'm going to be very defensive in my praise of it because I have seen your 16-page screed against it. And I know that it's going to get it when we get to you. So I'm coming out fighting for the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which, let the record be known, I, I said perfectly. Even though when I went to see the film, I said, I'm here to see the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. And the lady on the desk was like, we're just calling it the Guernsey. But I'm calling it by its full and proper name. Um, you really don't have to. It, well, I'm like just trying to talk so much that you don't get a chance to read your screen. <laughs> She's filibustering. <yeah. laughs> I'm filibustering you. <laughs> so, yes, I think it takes a while to unfold itself. And what is it? It is really a story of a writer who ends up being so moved by what she's gone to write about that it changes the course of her life. So from the perspective of a writer, it makes me feel very nice that there's a movie out there showing that these things can happen and that writers don't have to be these jaded hacks or these like solipsistic people. This is an outward-looking character. It's an outward-looking female character who ends up 
going to Guernsey up for a story, but she's just so affected by what she hears that they, they are no longer just a story. And one thing I really liked about it is that all the characters have human touches, even the seemingly stuck character like her fiancé, who in any other situation would just be a broad brush rogue. He's got sympathetic touches. Everyone's got sympathetic touches. And again, it's rare that you, you get a film that cares about each and every character so much. But, you know, there are certain aspects of it that could rub someone up the wrong way. But in what it is as a film... And I, what is it as a film? Nurturing and Delicious. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Nurturing and Delicious says Sophie Monk's character on Little White Lies. I'm probably in between you both on this. I thought it was... I maybe had sort of lower expectations going to see it because I'm sort of not not a massive fan of these kind of Brit vintage costume drama things. And uh, I ended up li- like actually liking it a lot more than I expected. And I think it is exactly what you said. It's this idea that it sort of introduces what you think are going to be these quite kind of stock characters. Like you've got the kind of comedy sidekick and you've got the old codger and you've got the uh, the young kind of flighty woman and yeah, the American sweetheart, the GI guy. And yeah, it kind of introduces them as those stock characters, but really gives them time to breathe and expand out. And hmm. like the, as you go through the film, they develop more into actual human beings. And yeah, there's, that's there's, true. It does flesh those characters out over the course of its two hours plus running time. Two hours, four minutes. Come, come. It's two hours plus. <laughs> Anything over 90 needs to have a very good reason to be taking up all that time, for me. Are you just, you're just a busy guy, that's why you hate it. I am it. a busy guy, we're all busy people. On but, that note, I just yeah. want to say, Netflix yes. should do a thing where you could search films by runtime. Brilliant. Let the sunshine in. Uh, 90 minutes. Well, I want to see what all the 80 minutes This movie are. here is going to be on Netflix as opposed to getting a theatrical release in North America, is that right? Or it's maybe not getting a full theatrical release. Ah. Would it make more sense as a series... You know, maybe like sort of tea time on a Sunday evening. Oh, out come his clothes. No, it's just... <laughs> really? Okay, where do we start? Shall I go? I'll, I'll be as quick go as I can. Then. Get out your Ra- system. Ra- all right, first of all, any movie with this many words in the title, immediately I've got a red light on my dashboard saying self-indulgent. Okay, the, the, my issue with the title isn't just the number of words. It's the kind of whimsy of it. It suggests that we're going to get some eccentric, witty kind of character piece of a film. But instead, what we get is a kind of Daily Mail wet dream all about plucky wartime Brits and nasty foreigners and, and inane dialogue and just general tweeness and some of the most Mills and Boone romance committed in the last 10 years to the cinema screen. It's so anodyne, the romance that develops. And I'm not talking, you know, it's no spoiler to suggest that she, her heart is going to awaken on this romantic island there in the English Channel. And the kind of lack of any fire. And you say you, you found it so touching to find a writer portrayed as a real human being. For me, she was Tintin in a wig. She was that two-dimensional. I thought she was wildly out of her depth. So she's a lovely actress and uh, very personable. But when I compared, for example, this film to, say, and I know we shouldn't compare films, but the parallels between this and Brooklyn, for example, which is set in a similar era, evokes a similar love triangle and requires a similar kind of decision in its protagonist. Shusha Ronan's performance there, I just thought had had depths way beyond and and engaged a sympathy within me, which might be a personal thing, far beyond that which Lily James evoked here, or evinced perhaps. To give you an idea of what kind of movie this is, there are three quotes. You know where it says, this is a terrific film at the top of the movie poster? This movie has three quotes on the top. One is from the Daily Mail, and the other two are from Helen Mirren and Joanna Lumley. 
if they put hold up, if, no, yeah, uh, if they uh, put uh, uh, Mr. Kipling up true. there, it would have been <laughs> completing the set. Okay, so it's I've, that kind of film. No, 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 no. I've got to come charging it yeah, huh? because okay. First of all, I've seen a different poster with quotes that include Robbie Collin at the Daily Telegraph giving it four stars. So I just have to represent that uh, there are others who enjoy it. Second of all, i got to come to the defensive lovely Lily James. Yep. I think she was wonderful. The film is not pitched in the same way that Brooklyn's pitched. Brooklyn's not about love triangle. It's about being caught between in a very intense homesickness and the desire to belong. And this is not what this film is about. This is kind of a... It is about the desire to belong. No, it's about, it's like a mystery story. It's like she's gone to the island to solve a mystery. But if, you, if you go to this film for the mystery thriller aspect, I think you're going to be really let down. Well, I'm just pointing out that it's not trying to be Brooklyn. It's doing okay, its no, own no, thing. Sure. And she is a journalist as well. So she is tasked with asking a lot of questions. And that is what she does. And she presents as the sort of person that, yes, could get answers out of people and... I bought her entirely, and okay. I thought she carried it in so, an in a entirely plausible and charming fashion. One of, my, one of my issues with the film was maybe this idea of, like, the plot is made up of this kind of her sort of going on this rondelay of asking questions to the different characters and then coming back to the first one and asking more, and they reveal something new every time. And I think on a dramatic level, that, for me, got a bit schematic and a bit like, well, if someone had sat down in the beginning and just said, let's, you know, put the kettle on, I'll tell you the whole lot. That there wouldn't have been a film, whereas like I don't know, there's something there is something nice about the idea that it is a film about journalism and chipping away mm. about like just coming back, asking the same questions over and over again, like getting people in different moods, getting people at different times, information coming out of different people and places, and again, it, it, the film was not a kind of rousing success for me, but I, I think I probably sit directly in so, the middle. So right, I take both. your point about it doesn't want to be Brooklyn, but let's compare it then, as I know we shouldn't, to another recent film, Their Finest. I was surprised when I saw the subject matter of this. I thought, oh, we're going there again. I mean, it's been explored so often. And it's like, do we really need another film about what happened during the, the war told from the perspective of the, the plucky home front folk? Now, Their Finest, I thought, took what has become a very stock scenario for cinema and inhabited it with very, very believable characters. It, it gave you a sense, I guess, of how you would feel were you to be living in those times, how it would actually feel day to day. This, I think, didn't do anything of it. And I would tie in with that the weird and, for me, very poorly handled tonal shifts that this movie does between the kind of chocolate box scenery and Mills and Boone style romance and the scenes from The Occupation where you've got this kind of Schindler light. I, I'm not sure how far Mike Newell's budget stretched on this, but it's it's very much the German occupation as reenacted by the Village Drama Society. It, it, those scenes, they don't carry the 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 weight that they would need to to make that part of the film a success. And it just seems bizarre when when it intercuts this gentle romantic story with these all these scenes of kind of jackbooted oppression and, and essentially murder. So that was another issue I had. And I mean just the whole whimsy of it. I mean, what's her address? 11 Lavender Lane. I mean, that for, as soon as she said that, I thought, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> this might actually be a self-critique here. <laughs> I think what I'm hearing here says more about you. than What does it say about me, David? <laughs> it says you hold no truck for whimsy. Well, I do, do you know, whimsy's fine when it... No, I, 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 Brooklyn, for example, is a very romantic film, and I really enjoyed that. It's not just the address she lives in. For example, when she travels to Guernsey, 
Mike Newell goes reaches deep into the 1950s playbook and does all these these long, slow zooms in on her face as she gazes rapt at the the mystic and magical shoreline that's approaching her across the grey waters of the, of the English Channel. It's, it's so overdone. Again, it's clear that you, you you're not into this movie, <laughs> and it's a matter of tastes. Like you use Mills and Boone as a critique. Yep. I could enjoy a Mills and Boone, and this is a fanciful film in its visual language. It's, is it's, it? Is it? No, I'm asking genuinely. It is a fantasy. Yeah. Sorry, I thought you were, I thought you were being sassy, James. No, 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 no. Okay, it's a fantasy. It's not like a gritty war movie, but it still nonetheless connects with the real pain left by the war. So it's pitched whimsically. Everything like Lily James wears is incomparably beautiful. Visually, it's a confection. But for me, there is something very real underneath. Not like super real, but... There's something there. And for me, when I'm watching a film, I just want to know if there's something beneath the surface. If mm. there's something beneath the surface, then I'm fine with it. Whereas okay. I think with you, it's irrelevant if there's depth, if it looks like this. And she no, lives no. at Lavender had, Lane. Had I felt this was a genuine story, that I could have lived with all sorts of inconsistencies or, or other problems. But it, to me, it just felt like, yeah, th- this will do. Well, you know, if you were to ask a computer, can you make a hit with say, the movie-going crowd who don't get out to movies very often but will enjoy this on the telly at Christmas, it would come up with something like this. There's a romance, there's a chased heroine, there's a bit of wartime drama. I don't think there's anything inherently bad about that. No. That's what cinema is. It's a a business, baby. Okay. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't know. Do you know what? I I think we have to stop now because it is literally like watching my parents fighting. (laughs) (laughs) But I I do want to say about Lily James, probably nothing to do with her, the fact that I can connect with this performance. I I suspect that any actress in this... wasn't it going to be Kate Winslet at one point? It Rosamund was when Branagh was going to direct. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So let's see your scores, Soph. Despite how things sound, I'm not actually that huge of a fan of it. <laughs> uh, okay. Should people go and see it? Yeah. Two, anticipation. Four, for enjoyment. What a good romp. And then three, in retrospect. Okay. So, David? My anticipation was fairly modest, so two. And yeah, I was surprised by it, so threes. Really? Mid- yeah, so you mid- would actually mm-hmm. suggest in all good faith people to go and see yeah. this? I think it's a superior version of a kind of tried and tested formula. Okay. I don't think I need to give you my scores. Yeah. <laughs> no. So let's sail on then, shall we? <laughs> and next up, hey, it's film club time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, 
Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Film Club is Beau Travail. Music, yeah. a lot of it taken from Benjamin Britten's opera based on the Herman Melville novella Billy Budd, directed by Claire Denis. If you pronounce it, I'm still not sure no. whether. You don't. Okay. And this is an extraordinary study of masculinity, the poetry of the male physique, the mendacity of the male mentality, if you'll permit me, Sophie. The uh, plot such as it is, regards an ex-Foreign Legion officer, Galoup, looking back on his life as a sergeant, I think, of the French Foreign Legion, and how the arrival of promising young recruit Santin begins to change everything. What do listeners make of this? Karen Brown. Beau has a beautiful and brutal poetry very rare in cinema. There's not an extraneous shot, captivating and hypnotic, a masterpiece by Denis and her lead actor, Lavon. Denis Levant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Levant, who I realise now is in The Fifth Element, bizarrely. He is, yeah. yeah. Maybe one of his like breakout roles. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what he'd been in before. He'd been he'd been in a lot of films by Leos Carax before, but no. Okay. Tom Townsend, my only thought really is that it's a travesty this film isn't available on Blu-ray. It is a travesty. That is a travesty. Greg Evans. Who's he? Greg Evans is my good friend. If you want to at him, he's at Greg Zine. Zine spelled Z-E-E-N-E. He says, without a doubt, the single greatest final scene of the dance any movie ever absolutely floored me the first time I saw it. Interesting. That ending, I'm not sure if I understand it, and I think it's very open to interpretation, but I know that you're unwilling to offer one just in case you prejudice <laughs> the uh, you know virgin minds of listeners. I can instead praise the purely physical mm. performance by Denis Levant dancing to Corona's Rhythm of the Night. Yeah. It's just incomparable dance. Absolutely hypnotic, magnetic. James, you wondered what it meant. I was unable to wonder what it meant because I was so in the moment with him and what he was doing and those moves. And I think James Franco actually homages it. He ends The Disaster Artist with that same track. Ah, okay. Interesting. I think that scene is based in the broadest sense. It is like a moment of transcendence that you can interpret how you will. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it is absolutely just gobsmacking. And uh, in Let the Sunshine In, she does a thing where the credits start rolling while Gerard Depardieu is, is still talking. And in Beau Travail, she does a similar thing where this scene is happening and then the credits kind of pop up midway through and then it kind of goes back and you see him dance, dancing some more. And it's got that very kind of 
I like this idea of like suggestion that like the film is carrying on forever afterwards or mm. you know it's just a sort of this is like a kind of arbitrary bit and we're sort of fading out rather than a hard stop yeah and actually now that we're on the subject she does do this she provides these kind of poetic almost slight segues of an ending I'm writing about Chocolat her debut which is set in Cameroon and the ending is is three guys hanging out on one of those big trolleys you use to push luggage and I think this comes back down to her being a very atmospheric and very visual and very kind of abstract poetic filmmaker. You know, she's not going to tell you what to think at the end of it and she's not going to try and wrap it up in a pat way, but she'll just riff on it in this way that's just very tantalising and can enable you to reflect on what you've just watched. I think her films, they, they float off. They don't end, they just sort of levitate off the screen. And uh, this, for me, is like, you know... Take all the hyperbole that I've I've sort of thrown at, at this mic on this podcast mm. collectively, and this this film is kind of towering above everything. Wow! Is this in your top, you know, three of all time type thing? It, it would definitely whatever. be a kind of contender. Yeah. What for you is the reason that this film is so successful? Well, I think on a very personal level, it's definitely one that like opened my eyes to the possibilities of what cinema is and what it can be. When I was in school. I would go to the uh, Curzon Renoir, mm-hmm. which is now the Curzon Bloomsbury, I think, and go and see, basically it was like whatever film they would screen. It was like my kind of, I trusted whatever they screened there. So I ended up seeing all these weird kind of foreign art house films. And I was like, I must discover all these new things that aren't being screened on TV. And I remember this, seeing this and the film Code Unknown, the, the Michael Haneke film, mm. I think they came out the same year was like the the kind of the moment where I was like, oh, wow, this is like cin- cinema is like, it was like the kind of 2001, huh. you know, going through the space portal moment where I was like, the wow. The at the start with a big obelisk. Exactly, yeah. I see. Right, any more comments from listeners? Tom Atkinson says, it's one of the best movies ever made. Each frame seems psycho-engineered to take your breath away and has the finest final scene in the history of cinema. Not up for debate. I'm so glad you guys decided to talk about this. There you go. It uh, was the film that apparently inspired Greta Gerwig to be a director. So you weren't the only one ah. touched in a very deep sense by this. Denis herself says, one of the cast had actually been in The Legion. So we took all their real exercises and did them together every day to concentrate the actors as a group. We never said we were going to choreograph the film. But afterwards, when we started shooting, using Britain's music, those exercises became like a dance. Well, I think one of the things that Denis does in a lot of her films, and she does it in, in Let the Sunshine, in, is, is have these kind of musical moments mm. like should, a song will play or there's a film called 35 shots of rum where the song night shift comes on oh the, in the bar. Uh, yeah yeah and it's or by the uh working on the night shift yeah yeah, one, yeah yeah but yeah she has these kind of like musical interludes in her film and they're just they're just amazing emotional kind of bursting emotional moments and i always think oh wow wouldn't it be amazing if claire denis made a musical like just all of these moments then you watch beau travail and you think oh yeah that it kind there's of is your a musical. Musical. there's your musical. Well, you know, before she made her first feature, she made a documentary following musicians, ah. and she has also made a documentary about French choreographer. So she's deeply fascinated with the mechanisms of the human body. Yeah, well, this—I mean, this film—that's one of the most extraordinary things. Her direction aside, is is the incredible performances, physical performances by the the performers. So there. Just to say also that Gregoire Collin, who is the uh-huh. kind of the sort of mysterious object in the film, <laughs> is also f- phenomenal. In the, it, it, he's got this very kind of passive, blank 
shtick going on. And it just creates this incredible tension between Denis Levant and, and him. It's just, yeah, amazing. Mm. And we are recording on what some are calling a heatwave day. And what better film to discuss? Because this film is sweltering. It's it, roasting hot. The Legionnaires, when they do their incredible physical jerks, the, the sweat is just rolling off their perfectly honed bodies. It's, you know, it's blue sky, blue sea. I wonder if there was much tickling on set. <laughs> I think there probably that's was. That's probably Horseplay. Yeah. That's what they call it in the army, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good-natured fun. Mm-hmm. Good. All right, well, there you go. What an outstanding choice then for Film Club. What are we going to be offering our listeners, as a visual treat next week? Well, because next week I believe we're going to be talking about another small release huh. called Avengers Infinity War. There you go. Just three words, that's Just, what you need. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, if there's one thing I've learned in the last 12 months, it's that I don't actually like superhero films. Ah, well, I next week really like is going to be a big one. because it's going to be a test. Because on Film Club, <gasps> we've decided to go back to the beginning Ooh. and talk about Ang Lee's the Hulk. The very first Marvel the, film? The, the Marvel film that was kind of maligned when it came out and people would maybe thinking, yeah, this whole superhero thing, I don't see much future in it. But mm, Eric Banner Eric playing Banner. the titular green beer moth uh, pre- previous to uh, Ed Norton and then um, Thingy, you know, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. And also next week? Also is the film Beast. And there's a connection to James's favourite movie, The Guernsey, Literary and Potato Peel Pie Great. Society, because Beast is set on another Channel Island, Jersey. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. I'll be annoyed if you don't like Beast. Really? I'm not going to be on next week to argue my case. But, okay. Beast. Beast. Excellent. Well, well, we'll find out next week. Now, that sets us up nicely for that. But, as I mentioned at the start, this now, today's episode, marks 12 months, Sophie. How time flies. 52 editions of Mm. Truth and Movies. So in honour of that, in homage to this milestone, we have invited you to offer us your top three films from that period. Tad Willie, obvious choices, Paddington 2, Black Panther and Phantom Thread. Tad Willie is living on a small island in Thailand, lucky person. And uh, Koh Samui, I think. That's probably not how you pronounce it. Yeah, Uh, yeah? Is, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Chris B. likes Logan Lucky, Dunkirk, Three Bulbuds Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Solid choices there, too. What have you got, Hannah? Have you got more listeners? Sophie. What did I just call you, Hannah? Yeah. I'm so sorry. You're looking at this. You just see a female face. You're not there sure who it belongs to. Yeah, woman. Woman. <laughs> yeah. So now, uh, okay, so solid choices again. Sophie, any more? Yeah. Gary says top three films in the life of truth in movies would be Phantom Thread, Shape of Water, and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Mm-hmm. And he laments that his favourite film of 2017, Certain Women, was just too early to be reviewed on the pod. I've not seen that, is it? I can review it Top now three you. It's amazing. And okay. and he has a film club recommendation riffing on the Reichardt link, Kelly Reichardt. Uh, he suggests Wendy and Lucy, and it would have been a nice link with Isle of Dogs, with the Lost Dog theme. That would have been good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Gary, where were you when we needed you? Astro Oh, he with. says he tends to agree with Jimbo the most. Really? Why did you say that? Oh, oh right yeah. At the end. All right, Gary. Well, get along to Guernsey <laughs> and tell us what you think. That, that's the acid test, I think. Mm-hmm. Astro Wiz, top three films of the past year. Some of the critically acclaimed films I haven't seen yet, but the movies I enjoyed were Florida Project, Phantom Thread, 
And I was pleasantly surprised by Baby Driver, as I'm not much a fan of Edgar Wright's previous wow, work. Wow, OK. Sophie, give us your top three, then. So, one of my top three. Am I allowed to include today's show? Yeah, of course. So, got to have... Um, Don't both... troll me with Guernsey. <laughs> <laughs> Can I put it in all three spots? <laughs> no. I'm basically in Teal, yeah. Uh, okay. Is, is one of them. You Were Never Really Here uh-huh. is another. The third spot, hotly contested between the Florida Project, Paddington 2. <laughs> I think I have to give it to the Florida Project. Okay. Yeah. So that's my top three. Excellent. Mine are Sophia Coppola's The Beguiled. Really? A wild card there. I'm a big, big fan of that <laughs> one. Call Me By Your Name by Luca Guadagnino. I... I believe I've gone on about that one a bit. <laughs> and Terence Malick's Song to Song. Much, right. Again, I've not seen the Song to Song. Which, uh, no, didn't... no, you have. No, I haven't. I wasn't here that week. Oh. Yeah, but I, it, I, I certainly caught up on the fact that some people really don't like it. Yeah, they don't. Don't go there, maybe. No, I'm <laughs> curious, because it has a fabulous cast. Are you a fan of Terence Malick, generally speaking? Sin um, Red Line, I loved. That's Malick Phase 1. Malick Phase 2 is Tree of Life. doesn't use scripts anymore. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I, how do you think Jimbo's going to do with Malick Phase 2? I don't know. Probably not well. well that I'm could very... be another experiment for another day. Yeah. Okay. Should I say Hannah's and Adam's? Yes, do. So Hannah Woodhead, her top three are You Were Never Really Here, mm-hmm. Good Time, and Logan Lucky. Adam Woodward, his top three are Phantom Thread, Call Me By Your Name, and Logan Lucky. Right. Well, those are all solid choices, I've got to say. And there were so many, that was the thing going through, it's so hard to, so hard to pick them. But for me, I'd have to have three billboards in there because I don't think I've enjoyed many films in the cinema in recent years as much as that one. I love Phantom Thread, but I would take My Life as a Courgette above that because it left me feeling all warm inside. And I think it revealed stuff to me that I would not otherwise have maybe intuited about how some people are living. And number one, in the whole wide world of movies... In the past 12 months for me, it was Paddington 2. And my biggest regret, Paddington 2, what a movie. My biggest regret of this entire experience, and Lord knows there have been plenty of them, is that one day I left this building just as Paul King, the director, was arriving. And I said, oh, yeah, just go upstairs. And I hadn't seen the film. Had I seen the film, I could have grasped him by the hand and said, at least in this grim old mixed-up world, you delivered. 90 minutes, is it? A pure gold positivity. And genuine niceness and love. I just think it's a magnificent film. Oh, you're making me want to switch out the Florida Project for Paddington 2. No, no, it's fine. Lots of people have said Paddington 2. Florida Project deserves your love as well. We're all in this together. Yeah. We'll be back next week, some of us anyway. So do hope you'll be joining us then. Do get your thoughts in to us here at the usual addresses. And for now, this has been a Seven Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.